this sit down is with Sarah Carter. Sarah is a writer, an educator, a documentarian, a musician, a celebrator of the human experience. Her observations are worth noting in my opinion. We get to dive into a few of those topics deeper or different areas of those topics a little bit deeper throughout this conversation. We bounce around a good bit about that stuff and creativity in general, education in general, what it's like to be alive right now in general. Um, hearing her talk about her experience documenting somebody's life, trying to be true to that, and her experiences educating and her experiences roller skating are some of the fun standouts, but we get into a lot of good stuff. Anyway, it was a good sit down. I enjoyed it. Hope you guys do too. Here we go. But people go there for like wedding photos all the time because yeah. it's just like two empty yeah. runways yeah. and dogs. Depth people. of field. Yes. And it's beautiful, a golden hour. Yeah. And there's a little path through the woods to and, Shelby. Okay, cool. Mm -hmm. uh, and you're saying you can skate there, meaning that meaning you skate, but you're not you don't consider yourself a double triple A skater. Right. And um, when I moved to Tennessee I quit skating almost entirely because okay. I was just eating it all the time. Yeah, yeah. Um, my brother did some skateboarding back in the day. We lived in the Northeast where that's a lot easier, mm -hmm. you know, 20-some yes. years ago. And when we came here, there's no sidewalks. There were no sidewalks anywhere, so that changed for him too. Mm -hmm. Where were you coming from? Um, from Norfolk, Virginia. Okay. Right so it's way flat. So we would all yeah. just travel all, I mean, that's how we would get around we, downtown. Yeah, we probably haven't discussed this, I wouldn't think, but mm -hmm. um, Mar I was from Annapolis, Maryland, that whole area. Oh, cool. And then... Um, I guess uh, the outskirts of DC and all that, so it feel, uh, that feels familiar. But the Northeast, which I said before, is the part of America I feel almost like I know the least because I was zero to five mm -hmm. was the age, and then other places. So mm -hmm. yeah. it's beautiful. Okay, cool. So the skating's coming back a little bit. That's the, really <laughs> yeah. the main thing I wanted to talk to you about was just inline or what do you? Oh, got? No, I've done. Okay. I've on quads now too. Okay. On roller skates. Okay. Cool, I'm cool. trying to. And that literally just means four wheels on a foot. Yeah. Okay. That's how much I skate. Is I don't know. Well, okay. I've so never I been have good on wheels. I have on my just feet. an old Sector Nine flex deck longboard for skateboarding. Okay. It's cool. just easy to carve. Yeah. Easy. Yeah. And then I have some old speed roller skates okay. that I try to take outside because there's all these girls on the West Coast yeah. that have a company called Moxie okay. and they are skating vert ramps and doing like crazy stuff yeah. that flips into bowls yeah. and like very inspiring. Okay. I am not doing that. Right. I am skating in school parking lots in Lebanon, Tennessee. With the headphones on though. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Visualizing yourself in slow motion. Yes. Yeah. It's fun. It's challenging. Yeah. That, no, that stuff is awesome. I, I tried to do a little bit of it when I was living in California, when I was in college, just get on a skateboard and messing around. Mm -hmm. But I feel like I got too... Bef I was not comfortable before I was tall enough on that stuff. Same, and I, yes. I wasn't even um, that great on a bicycle early on, too, mm -hmm. because part of it is my family was so into boats that during that period we even lived on a boat for a few months cool. and just it was all more water mm -hmm. um and so i feel like i got on a bicycle i don't feel like i did like i was on a bicycle later than most people and even mm -hmm. when i was younger i was like nervous about it you know do you think you would have tried more stuff on a bike or a skateboard if you were shorter bike no because i got it i ended up getting into that anyway okay. and i feel like in college, that was a huge tool, was mm -hmm. having the bicycle. Um, so, and I'm sitting, I feel like that all, I, I feel like I'm low enough to the ground. Mm -hmm. um, shorter, may, I, I just, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't really know how to think about anything yeah. if I was shorter. It's so I just high think younger. stakes. It's all younger. When you see yeah. little kids bounce off the ground, yeah, it's just like a part of their plan. They just mm -hmm. keep going. Um, so... I think that's really part of it is just getting comfortable with that stuff. Uh, I just remember thinking, I need my feet. I need to be able to control my feet. Yes. Yeah. And that's why roller skating outside is so hard because you can't bail. Right. 
you're in it. Yeah. You got to figure it out. That's why you got to, you got to have the elbow pads and you got to not mess around. No, These women the don't. <laughs> it's incredible. Yeah. I'm not there yet. Yeah. No, <laughs> yet, but it's small steps. Yeah. I yeah. hope so. That's cool. So on a day like today, that is a nice thing to think about uh, or walk around. Um, were you just hanging today or mm -hmm. yeah, going All to see dogs? Were out. Yeah. Yes. Nice. Uh, I meant like, I guess, literal and figurative dogs, but um, just going to see people <laughs> walking and meeting their dogs. Yes. Yeah, cool. Um, one other thing you were mentioning right before we hit record, and in my mind, and I know we were just talking about this, but I, it just even helps me to kind of lay it out, the topics that I was thinking to dive into with you, and part of it is this randomness. So, so I think before I even push you towards these, but loving to hear more about the music and arts focus, and also loving to hear more about... Um, what you've learned and what you've seen in education. Who knows what else comes up. But even before that, the last couple months, and sometimes people, this hits them and other times nothing really is going on. But the last couple months, the last month, the last week, I mean, we touched on today. Um, all of us are kind of hit, get, those of us apparently that get hit with some allergies are getting hit and we're so thankful that it's sunny but then we're realizing i don't know we gotta figure out how to breathe well mm -hmm. but what has really been going on for you recently and this might if this maybe takes us into those topics i don't know mm -hmm. um whether it's a good music video tv show meal mm -hmm. vacation lack of vacation work stuff you were talking about yes yeah. um the I, recently the most recent i think one of the craziest things that's happened is I finished my MFA at Swanee and uh -huh. created nonfiction and then got an opportunity to help this guy that has escaped North Korea twice to okay. get his memoirs done. Yeah. And so my focus was on folklore. Mostly what I write about is the American South and, but rooted in people's stories. And that's kind of, I've been a teacher for 10 years and most of my teaching method is based on connecting students with stories that resonate with them. So right. in my own career, trying to further that in grad school, I got this opportunity to do about 11 hours of phone interviews with this guy, Charles Rayu, who escaped North Korea twice. Yeah. I think he's 23 and okay. he's developing a I'm speaking. I'm picturing way older for some reason. Yes. Yeah. He got here at 17. Yeah. Um, and that was just a really sobering experience and a good application for a hands-on way that I could use the, the, um, field work training that I had developed for my grad school right. in actually a direct way of impacting people and trying to promote his career. Right. How was that first conversation with him? Was that slow? Was he ready to talk? Was it, did he, was he, I mean, I don't know. I could go a million different ways, yeah. right? He is so um, warm and kind and accommodating. and But I had never asked anyone such personal details. I mean, he watched his mom die at age nine after they almost both starved. I yeah. mean, really heavy. I've heard a lot of heavy things from like community elders and different right. kind of oral history settings. But to get a whole linear story was really challenging because he wasn't super forthright about when he needed to stop kind of I, I think when uh -huh. you're when you're telling your own story it's hard to know when you need to take a break right and so coordinating that was a little challenging meaning he would kind of keep going talk too much and wear himself out or well or we would talk not? for a, a, a certain amount of time and then he would say I need to call you back yeah. And then we might not get together again for two weeks or right, so. Right, so right. That gave me time to transcribe and think about what had happened. That's a good way to roll in with the positive side of that. <laughs> yes. But it I made the project kind of feel like I would I didn't know when it would end. Yeah. Um which changes how you reflect on it probably and what's you know, that whole mindset, you know. Yes. Uh, I'm just and, thinking of storytelling, whether it's a one off narrative piece or episodic or whatever, you know. Yes. And I mean, I feel the weight of telling anyone's story that they share. I think there's a really cool um, folklorist called like Bar Tolan, and he talks about how not only is someone's story an important gift that they give you, but the actual time that you have between the two of you is a moment that 
kind of exists outside of time. Like right. it's, it's the teller's gift to give this moment yeah. to, because it's, you know, it's outside of real time. It's in the person's memory. Right. They might never tell it the same way again. Right. Um, and so I feel like every story has weight and makes me want to be a better writer, but to get someone's whole narrative felt almost too heavy for sure. a while. And I mean, I was getting up in the morning and transcribing him talking about people looking in their own excrement to try to find food in an internment camp. And then right. going to my private school where I teach and hearing the kids complain about, oh, chicken fingers on Wednesday. Again. Right. Kind this, of... this color Gatorade is so lame. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So that was challenging. Which I've probably said at some point, which is that's I'm the sure worst part about it is as you're frustrated, you're, you're thinking, I right, look no further than the mirror and sure. being young and not even knowing Oh yeah. until you experience it or talk to somebody. I mean, I, you can even see doc documentaries on these things that's big but the one-on-one -on -one conversation with somebody mm -hmm. in your own space and time with your own questions and feedback is always huge i feel like the people that i've met from other countries or um, exchange students or whoever it is mm -hmm. uh, it really wakes you up to the reality of it um, i met a guy from um the Congo who was talking about just the history there, mm -hmm. you know, and I'm so ill-educated on, on, um, the geography and the pronunciation and all that. And I think even Patrice Lumumba's name came up in some of these conversations before, but since that democratically elected president was killed, it, it's been just craziness down there mm -hmm. and you know it and you hear it, but hearing that guy talk for a few hours, um, the first hand is just crazy. Yes. Know? Um, and how it looks on the ground versus... Did you see Roma? Did you see No, Roma I haven't yet. Okay. It, um, I've, That's uh, a Netflix perfect example of that. Cinematography, best cinematography or something, you know? Yes. Yeah. Okay. I loved it. I mean, it was, Interesting. it was hard to watch, but that... How does revolution look on a day-to-day -day basis yeah. for okay. a, an average person, a blue-collar person? Yeah, okay. Yeah, I think that was maybe the final push you just gave me to get on that. I think it's time well spent, for sure. Um, good to hear. Um but then um, the agency I was working with, they asked me to do some ghostwriting. So that was a whole nother curveball. How yeah. can I bring this into real time, uh, writing in the first person a story that isn't my own for the greater good of sharing it? But, you know, everybody's right. talking now about who has the right to tell with what story. With a different story. person or specifically through for, him? For Charles. Right. So okay, I was gotcha. writing That's his true. voice for him. Right. But just coming out of grad school and hearing a lot about who has the right to tell what story right. and thinking, you know, carrying that around with me. But that's, I mean, that's a great debate. And one of the ones we were talking about when you, when we were, before we even hit record about the, um, some of the topics that people have to be aware of, we have to deal with. And we also have to be sensitive to and not be too sensitive to in a weird way. Cause mm -hmm. you don't want to go too far because you need good writers or even I think of it in terms of with actors playing different roles. Mm -hmm. Um, I wouldn't want to take that to the full degree of, um, only somebody who is Irish, Swedish, German with a British background who was born in, you know, or raised in Annapolis through Nashville can play Hans. Right. You know what I mean? Because then it is, it just eventually forces it into documentary. You know, yes. that's different for literature because mm -hmm. you're, in, you're intercepting his voice you could be, you know, re reworking it and trying to keep in line with him. Intercepting is, you can see I'm p painting it as a negative way, right? Like if somebody doesn't trust that you're giving sure. us his full. But, um, so maybe that's a little different because it is like documentary, mm -hmm. you know? But that whole debate and topic is, is uh, really interesting and is definitely needs to be paid attention to because if there's ignorant perspectives there that are pushing us or losing a bit of our history not good. Sure. And I know ghostwriting is kind of, it's it's not exactly in that conversation, but okay. I feel like there's like a bunch of weird compromises that you have to think if you're thinking, okay, I'm taking oral history and if this becomes a book, it's going to be pitched as like, not a bestseller, but a kind of, a, on a level of reading that will appeal to all kinds of readers sure. and with enough sensationalism 
to engage a reader's consciousness, yeah. but, and you're not creating the sensationalism, but you are making your storyboarding how the events occur. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't sound like you're creating the sensationalism. When you talk about somebody witnessing a parent die, mm-hmm. I mean, that is, it's hard to even, even though I'm hearing, I'm, I'm seeing this uh, traumatic story approaching as you're telling it to me, mm-hmm. even when you get to that point, it still hits me in the face, mm-hmm. you know, uh, anytime you hear that, which almost brings me to the topic of trauma and healing and all that stuff, which is, uh, I don't mind getting into, but this stuff is, since we're on it already, mm-hmm. what are the next steps of that? Or what do you think about that moving forward? Uh, if you say, what's their stance in terms of really wanting you to do this or being open-minded to your decision? For that project specifically? Yeah, I guess. That's kind of on ice right now, but um, I talked to a lot of people in the process of that because I wanted to get all the details right. And I wanted to have all the transcriptions really careful, yeah. no matter what happened, so he wouldn't have to tell that again. Right. So if they wanted to pitch it to him ever, do whatever, I, I don't yeah. really care. I was on board to do this one thing. But someone said, every time you share that kind of story, it takes power away from the trauma. Mm-hmm. Another client of the agency is Elizabeth Smart. Okay. So someone, of course, that had this traumatic kidnapping experience in American culture. I, and every time I have seen that in the past, I just think, I, I hate that that person's having to say their story over and over. Right. And I didn't realize that how much you're taking power over your own story when mm-hmm. you tell it. Right. Or um, I think it's Tara Westover wrote a book called Educated. She grew up in a, a mountain community and a family um, that was um, basically had their own compound and it's about her moving into wider society after she's telling her own story mm-hmm. and older um, than you would guess right or she's well, old enough to reflect on it or she's yes, looking back I think she's our age but yeah. she I mean it's a wild narrative yeah about uh families that are drastically different, but were growing up in America at the same time as, as ours. Um, and hearing the pain in someone's telling of that story and then, um, being able to think about it as healing for them and not voyeuristic for other people. Right. Kind of. Right. Sure. How to, how to do that. Well, there's probably a way to, that's why you got to really, uh, I think trust the creator or the artist or the writer or the director or whoever it is that is Mm -hmm. trying to be in between and not get too involved or not over sensationalize or yes make something exciting or awesome or sexy that really just needs to be told straight up because it's not that way well and then you have i don't want to get super political but like jd vance Mm -hmm. wrote the book hillbilly elegy okay as his life story and it came out about election time okay and so he made a lot of generalized statements about hillbilly people (laughs) white people in the south that Uh happened to be the demographic that the world was baffled by right right and so cha-ching yeah but he i mean i don't (laughs) think that that was his intent no no no. and a lot of just because you're making money doesn't necessarily mean that's it right and a lot of, and, and he, I don't think he chose to get looped in on all these political conversations. I could be wrong um, because people reacted so strongly about it. They, I just saw a collection was put out of Appalachian writers or people writing about Appalachia attacking that book. Like it was right. a book in response Collect, yeah, to collective, book. yeah. And uh, that, I, I don't, that's a wild thing too. Right. Because not having that in mind, reading that book the first time, it sounded like he was just telling his story to me. I would like to yeah. re- reread it after, but it, you know, how, how do other people get a hold of your story and use it for an agenda yeah. too? It's kind of. So you, you read it before that stuff that people started saying that and yes. then got to revisit it. Right. Which is an interesting um, little experiment because I yes. feel like I've done that too. Seen films um, before uh, some sort of discussion blew up around them, mm-hmm. or read a book, or uh, not as many controversial. I feel like the controversial books. I feel like I just because I don't read as many as I watch films or TV shows. But and then you revisit it, 
um, it is pretty funny that way. I feel almost like um, Titanic was the opposite of that for me. A movie that I didn't see for so long, and then I saw it, and, I, and I, my brain is just thinking, how come J.P. Morgan is not a character in this movie? Just because he owns the boat, I want to see it, you know? And I'm just, that, right. I'm just spinning, thinking, shut up, don't annoy everybody by, <laughs> by just wondering. Um, sure. But, yeah, I think when you're off track with a group of people that have an opinion, timeline-wise, mm-hmm. you can agree or disagree. But that is a nice little wake-up call. And then to think, oh, what am I blind to or am I not? Right. Is yeah. This, you know, what am I missing or not missing? Yeah, good yeah. question to have and to care about deeply and to not let yourself get too unhealthy over if mm-hmm. if you need to be going to bed now and not staying up and worrying about it. Right. You know? But also not something to ignore. Um, it's so easy to assume things about your life. Um and apply those other people or your experience or your definitions or whatever. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you see it. Um, there's something, Oh, the trauma side of that stuff and the sharing. Um, I, we got off on that cause we were saying, you know, it can be sensationalized, but, mm-hmm. um, I, I think even the brain, when you retell a story, uh, um, that it uses this, when you remember, go back into a story, it's the same mechanism as writing the story too. So you almost can re-enter the experience in a way. I know a lot of therapy um, that uh, when you re-enter the situation and almost like go in as a as yourself now as an adult mm-hmm. into the moment of being the child and speak your truth to the person that was mean to you or that hurt you or whatever. You mm-hmm. know, that sort of stuff is really interesting to me. Mm-hmm. Um, all the stuff with the brain is bigger, is, is more complex than you think, Mm -hmm. which is storytelling and which is the fact that you can sit down with somebody and all of a sudden you're in another space time, just listening to their, or you're traveling with them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Do you think in filmmaking or any of the art that you do in writing there, there's a lot of, particularly with fiction writers, a lot of just making yourself available to the work and seeing what your subconscious or your inner child or whatever is wanting to say, does that exist as much in filmmaking or do you have to be so, because there's so many other people involved, that has to be done on the front end before any kind of production happens. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think so. Um, How open are you to things once you get on set or something Mm -hmm. um and i think from what i've seen there are filmmakers that do it in all sorts of different ways and a lot of it goes back to your background and your budget Mm -hmm. um, which is makes sense i guess i was looking at um some director commentary for the place beyond the pines derek c in france directed it and Mm -hmm. he's got a background in documentary and a lot of sports documentary so it's really fun to let him tell you how he made stuff because he shoots smaller budget but these are still this is still serious money mm-hmm. um not compared to avengers or whatnot but um and for instance when he booked i just realized my hands getting really big in the air like i'm telling <laughs> her which is good that means i'm excited about this um he had a scene where he had to book one of the characters into prison and he got a real retired judge and just told the judge to book him just do what you do you know mm-hmm. and i think a filmmaker who's equally as awesome, I guess I would say, or somebody that's got maybe more of a controlled. Wes Anderson has a really controlled mm-hmm. world. He, I don't. I can't imagine him ever saying, getting a real person saying, "Do what you do." He's mm-hmm. going to take Bill Murray and have a, speci- a really specific way of saying it in cadence, mm-hmm. and even the camera's going to track in perfectly, pan left for the next line, then pan. It's all perfectly controlled. So mm-hmm. that's a long way of saying. It depends on what you want to make. Personally, I really like the writing process of the whole thing. Mm-hmm. So I would love to um, spend a ton of time on that. Trust the decisions you're making and the plan, and then and then go and just try to check things off the list and have mm-hmm. fun with people. Yeah. Then I think you can even. Um, I'll give you one more example before even um, the rules of attraction. Mm-hmm. Maybe the coolest thing I've ever seen in a movie is a split screen sequence in there. Mm-hmm. And it was supposed to end with a kiss. Uh, and they had it really planned out. And on set, they were rehearsing it. And uh, Shannon Sossaman took off Jason Vanderbeek. Is that his name? Dawson's Creek. Yeah. 
took off his glasses to say, let me see your eyes. Mm -hmm. And the director, he was in control of enough stuff and calm enough and able to see that's better than a kiss. We're Mm -hmm. changing it. Do that. Let's have a moment where these two people see each other for a second, you know? Mm -hmm. So that's somebody I think that, I think that's maybe the sweet spot. Yes. Where you, you got a plan. It's stupid in my mind to go anywhere and try to pull off visual storytelling stuff without a plan, but sure. um, then you can be open to it. Yes. You know? I, I mean, I get it at how uh, I haven't done, I've done a little bit. It's a documentary stuff, mm-hmm. but man, trying to do a long form, real tracking of somebody's life or even a narrative adaptation of their life. Mm-hmm. I'd have to be really upfront about what everybody expects. How much freedom do I have? Yes. You know, that'd be, especially if the person's alive, you know, all that. Yes. I don't know. It is funny. I I feel like the first time I read something in a fiction workshop and someone says, the work is telling us you need to be writing about this. It's clear you actually need to be writing about this part. And I was like, that's the craziest thing I've ever heard in my life. Wait, wait, wait. What does that mean, though? The work is telling us. When they read your stuff, they're seeing parts that stand out? Yes. I I wrote a story. It was about my bad cousin, Jennifer, stepping Uh on a dead goose Uh and making it make a squeaking noise. Uh And it was very dramatic moment in my childhood. Right, right. She was always getting us to do all Every kinds of stuff. Every time I hear a squeak. Yeah. We were all, I mean, it's a circle of children standing around stepping on this, you know, yeah. children are so brutal. So I was telling that story and someone said, you need to write about this patio that my grandma had. I was writing all yeah. of this description and they felt like if I spent time there, that would inform what the rest of the piece was actually about. Yeah. And as a nonfiction writer, I'm like, it's about the cruelty of children. It's about the loss of beauty. You know, I like to list it all out and not waste any time. Let's go. And that approach, I think, has been helpful in doing field work for nonfiction because there are so many variables. It's, It's not usually as controlled as I would want it to be. Right. For, um, and I've wound up, in some really amazing transformative places for me as a result. Um, I had a field work trip uh, a year and a half ago for a project on Alabama folk medicine. And I had lined up all these interviews first. So the Porch Creek Indians on the Gulf Coast. And then uh, two herbalists. And then um, I think that was it. We, I had already visited some wart healers in Northwest Alabama, yeah. but <laughs> that's my, yeah, that's like, Oh, cool. <laughs> of course. <Yeah. laughs> yes. But I couldn't get a hold of this one guy and I was in Atmore, Alabama. It's a can- casino town. It was in the middle of a tropical storm, staying in this hotel, couldn't get anybody and was going to just give up and go see my cousin in Florida. And she wanted some honey. So I stopped at a stand and started talking to this couple, the Turks, and asked them, do they know anybody that that was healing in the area? Do you know any healers? Right. Blah, Just blah, to blah. see if you can get an interview with somebody. Mm-hmm. Okay. And at first they said no. And then I said, aren't there any old people that could heal warts or, you know, talk a burn, talk a burn, uh, the heat out of a burn or anything? They said, oh, yeah, mother shed. No, he died. Oh, but his daughter does it. Freddie does it. And so they gave me directions through these two stop signs. So I I went in. There's two trailers in the middle of a field with really tall grass. I didn't know where I was going. No, it was three trailers. And I just picked a driveway and went up. And this pit bull ran out at me. And I dropped my keys in like a big red dirt puddle. And this lady comes out of her garage laughing she's like you looking for freddie cut through the yard and my little nissan versa yeah sliding over and this woman with was a ninth generation cherokee cancer healer named freddie bowen i can give you her address if you want it but she came to the door well, she had a bunch of dogs come out of her house and scare me to death too but i was like i'm here but they're all laughing i'm here now Yeah. yeah everyone always says don't be afraid when it's their dog. But right. anyway, she came out and took my hand and led me into her house, 
past her grandchildren on the couch over to this little bar that she had set up that had um, all these uh, powders and she makes a, a cancer tonic yeah. and you mix it with Gillespie's gin. You can take it as a tonic or a salve. Yeah. And it was like this, she just took me in her house and said, what do you need? And I just started crying in her kitchen, just very mundane day trying to get an interview and go into this otherworldly zone. Right. And I'm like, what do I need? Yeah, in that's this the question. Kitchen? I was just asking me that. Yeah, yeah. what do I need? Yeah. And then, of course, I, you know, muscled, muscled through and said, oh, I'm doing this. Can you tell me about your work, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. I yeah. got my emotions together. you're already together. in a pretty vulnerable spot by yes. um, mentally the whole plan is upside down, which is fine. Yes. But then physically you're putting yourself in a place where you don't know where you are. Yes. Um, when was this? Was this before this was... you had hopefully seen shows like, I mean, I'm, not, I'm afraid <laughs> to say it, but I'm like True Detective. Hopefully you hadn't seen True Detective. No, I haven't. Right, good. No. Good. But it was, it was like, I felt like I was in it. I don't know. I yeah, don't know no, what that I, means. I think and, so. Yeah. Uh, I felt like I was safe somehow. Yeah. And she is just very much believes we can get everything to heal us that God put it in the earth for our healing. Yeah. But yeah, it was a surreal moment. There's a lot in the earth. Yes. There's a lot in the earth. Yes. Um, it reminds me of getting through a big event focused life thing and then maybe getting sick or something different. But once you get to a space or in a house with a frequency or just a feeling or a person says something, mm-hmm. the fact that you felt safe there and then all of a sudden you can let out whatever emotion. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's not much to that, but that's just interesting. And And just... I didn't know that I needed her to say that. I didn't really know why I was going on the trip. Yeah. I just like interesting things. Yeah. And the whole time my thesis advisor was like, you're writing a book about healing. Why are you going on this trip? I was like, well, I'm Southern by manner. You know, I was just right. not. And then in every single conversation, someone brought up something that made me tear up and I had to kind of like look down and right. process later. But in, I think in a way, I guess nonfiction can tell you what it's about too. Sure. But it's harder when you're supposed to steer the ship and you're just discovering that yourself as you go along. Which which can feel like too much from scratch, or you have to make everything up, or something. Sure. The when you were saying, and I think I, I'm getting, I'm landing that idea, but you're saying doing the nonfiction puts you in such a non-control spot, mm-hmm. which informs your ability to write fiction. Is kind of what you're saying, right? A little but those, bit. That seems funky in, in a way, right? Because you would think that the nonfiction would be continually, even though you have to change your day and your plan and you meet this person, you're still, it's all still just documenting, you know, yes. in a way. Mm-hmm. Not just, but... Um, I think poets so it's, and yeah. fiction writers, I think their method, I was talking to a poet the other day and he says he does four hours of emotional prep before he writes. Yeah. Which to me is like, what? I don't even yeah, know. Emotional prep? I don't know what that is means, that hamstrings but it's cool. Or, I don't know. I thought yeah. it was cool. But fiction writer, even Flannery O'Connor said, you create the character and you follow the character. Mm-hmm. So I think bringing, like you said, preparing as you would for a shoot to respect everybody's time and resources and the budget and everything. But then looking to our fiction writing and poet writing friends yeah. to take the organic cues when sure. they come. Sure. And I think... Um... Before you green light anything or step onto a set, when you're in the typing area, mm-hmm. there's no rules on any of that. There shouldn't be. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? If you know ahead of time what your budget is, and there are, mm-hmm. you, but in general, or the idea is you just, you go, you sit in those four hours or whatever you want emotionally. Mm-hmm. You know? um, I see what you're saying though. It, it's maybe the way that somebody might heal quote-unquote writer's block if they believe in it or whatever you say about that um research is is always something that people say which for me is real totally Mm -hmm. real if i just start looking into something i'm interested in it starts creating stuff Mm -hmm. um and that's kind of what that nonfiction stuff is in a way so i see i see like a two parts of that how it's ironic that nonfiction would help you let let go more, mm-hmm. right? But I also see how it's just research, and research shows you that 
maybe you didn't have control in the first place. So go ahead and be artistic. Yes. I'm getting a little abstract there, but that's true. I well, I think people are using people are doing incredibly creative things with nonfiction. I think podcasts yeah. and a lot of the storytelling. I think on your last podcast, you were talking about creative ways to even share true true crime stories yeah. and. Um, just huge right now. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if I ever thought there'd be a time where documentaries would be pulling in the numbers that they pull. People want to hear about other people. And I think particularly in writing about the South, there's like a great diversity of voices and young Southern writers too. And a lot of different colors of Southern people are being represented where they weren't before. But I don't know. Do you know, do you... I listen to a lot of nonfiction or read a lot of nonfiction or I guess what I really want to know is what, what kind of weird ways do you see people putting forth personal narrative or yeah. Um, that is memoir or just nonfiction. Anything, in general. even yeah. like, I don't know, this American life or yeah. And new in the new media side mm-hmm. of it or new mediums. The podcast thing is one of, one of those and the ones that go back to simple stuff um, it, it always excites me. Mm-hmm. So, um, even the simplicity of seeing Twitter in the early days of this is, these are sticky notes. These are little notes. These are little, that's, that was cool to me to mm-hmm. see how that became so powerful. But the podcasting thing is definitely that because it's radio again. Mm-hmm. Um, but with the technology and low budget, you don't have to speed up for, a. um, commercial so all of a sudden we have this three four five hour stuff where people are showing that they can sit for a long time and absorb a lot of focus content Mm -hmm. it's not all the post mtv generation which is the term i always overuse that but Mm -hmm. um i don't know thinking about that new ways i wonder if i'm a little bit too i fall in love with the old school types of art Cause I almost, I, I will get that sensation. Like I need to let go of this being whatever it is to me, whether it's film or television or literature, mm-hmm. music. Um, it's really more about being more open to these art, the newer art forms that have come up, which is what old, older people always have trouble with. Right. That's mm-hmm. not real art. So looking at YouTube is maybe an example mm-hmm. uh, how a lot of younger people, they don't want to be a part of um, a television studio. They want to be a part of a YouTube channel. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I don't think I have any great answer to that in terms of I stumbled onto this new storytelling thing now because I'm, I'm kind of thinking, man, we've got a lot of really good ones. I, I like yeah. to just kind of revisit those and get better at those. Mm-hmm. VR, I guess, is gonna, virtual reality stuff is something that comes to my brain. Mm-hmm. The gaming that shows up in real life, which I heard an interview about this recently. This is like from the 90s or 2000s, though, I think. Um, augmented reality gaming. I forget what it's called, but it's it's you like put your phone number and you'll get a phone call during in the middle of the night and have to write down information. And, you know, stuff like that Whoa. that is... And it got tapped for, for some promotional stuff, I think. Mm-hmm. Um I think that stuff's cool, but I don't. Three hundred sixty degree video and stuff like that is cool, but that's that specifically is great for documentary. I I don't Mm want someone to tell me a story through that right now, right? Um, Because I don't want control over where I look. If it's your story, you should. I would like you to tell me where to look. Yes. So no is the other answer to that. Yeah, I was just thinking. I, I think. My students, I teach 11th and 12th graders. Yeah. And social media and everything that I use, which is mostly Instagram and like, you know, whatever, email and mm-hmm. Facebook for I don't know what, they all use it for different reasons. There's mm-hmm. all these new rules. Okay. And all the YouTube shows they watch are like for different reasons too. Like one of them is just a story about a family. Like, it's not scripted or, like, storyboarded. Mm-hmm. It's just, like, They family. have cameras, live cameras or something? Yeah. Or they just document trips and... Yeah, it's just, like, yeah. they're eating dinner. Mm-hmm. And one of my students was, like, you know, she's from single-parent home, and her mom travels a lot. And she's like, yeah, I don't even know why I like this show. It's just a family eating dinner. 
And I was like, hmm, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Like, you know, and it, it didn't, it doesn't have to be. I know there's plenty of single parent homes that are very full and, you know, there are oh, no doubt. people around a lot. But for that particular student, I thought, hmm, this is interesting. Right. And then when you're the... younger like that and you share certain things that, um, good thing that when you're older, you can know enough about life to where that's not dangerous or too right. vulnerable. That's okay. Right. You've, you've, you know, we've all experienced stuff like that. But it is interesting how when somebody's that much younger, they reveal things about themselves. Yes. Um, I remember one of our teachers giving us a hard time about um, vanity. Uh, just some joke mm-hmm. he made. He was a great guy, but I always remember it. Yes. Thinking back about like you know being in high school and looking in the mirror too much or whatever. But yes. That's a totally different example. But well, and narcissism. And, yeah. Yeah. No, but the people eating is interesting. Um, the I in other countries, there's channels where, where it's eye contact like people literally they're just ha- be- wanting to make eye contact with people wow. on the screen yes and then all the that, gaming but... shows where you watch other people gaming uh-huh yeah that's interesting too yes and huge money in that mm-hmm. i did that when i was younger mm-hmm. i would lay on the couch and watch my buddy play star fox on like 64 or mm-hmm. something you know or tomb raider and for some reason i enjoy they would always ask if i went sometimes i play but sometimes mm-hmm. i would just watch them you know yeah um and all the like uh you know about Finstagrams? No. Like your Instagram, uh, my students made a chart for me. Okay, good. And your Instagram is for <laughs> your mom and the boy at church okay. and your cousin. Gotcha. And that's like your branding. Your Finsta is like for... Um, I don't even know what Finsta is. Like fake Instagram. Okay. So you would have like a, a, uh, go, like a ghost account. Gotcha, kind of. gotcha. And typically there's like hundreds of people like waiting to follow you because it's your gripes uh-huh. or like a cute like pic of you that's not on brand for the right. other one right right and there's like do all they present themselves it. in regards to on brand do they use that yes. phrasing for themselves as yes. a human okay gotcha yes it is would yeah. be terrifying to anyone yeah. not yeah in the culture already Yes, and then like girls use Vosco the photo editor okay just for like snaps of pinterest quotes uh-huh. or cute texts from their boyfriends right like there's this whole other social code okay. to take and, pictures of other digital stuff we, yes okay, i got you but you can't repost it on your mm-hmm. regular instagram because it'd be off you know off-brand. there's all of these yeah yeah yes so anyway i could go on forever i hope i can write about it at some point but to realize that there's a whole different set of rules and that kind of storytelling and there's this whole, like, you, if your friend, if you post a selfie, if you don't get a certain amount of likes, you might delete it. Uh-huh. Or you have to say, you look cute. Oh, my God, goals. Or, like, uh-huh. whatever. There's this whole other subculture of appropriateness. How to support somebody. In that kind adequately. of storytelling. Yes. Yeah. Anyway. Interesting storytelling because we've definitely pushed it into the reality TV, into the personal reality TV. Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder if we would describe storytelling when we were that age, the same, the same, would you tell a story in terms of what you do or don't do? You know, it's a, it's a, interesting. Uh, it came up once before that I think it was an interview I heard with Bo Burnham. Is that the comedian's name? He's a YouTube guy. I know, but some of my students who are college age are more aware of him. So I think he was pretty big a few years ago on, on the YouTube side of things. Um, but he was talking about how um, a lot of people this um, that are growing up, teenagers, um, just f- reminding the older people to be aware of, don't just call it narcissism because we presented them with all these tools and they watched us posting all this, you know, we're the ones that are throwing them into this world where it is seem it can seem more important what you are online, you know, which mm-hmm. is which is terrifying and I don't want to go to it too much because it's so easy for me to get on this topic. Sure. But, um, you know, it's easy to only post your successful takes. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people get really hard on themselves and it's really easy to talk trash on anything you see that's in the middle Mm -hmm. because you don't realize that that's the majority of reality is the middle. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know. I, 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 how are they doing with that? <laughs> I don't know. I, because I mean, everything I am hearing 
is their own articulation of that. Right. But one interesting thing, because I know you're interested in education and talking Mm -hmm. about education is, um, I've taught in an urban setting in Norfolk, Virginia, taught at a charter here in Nashville, and now I'm at a private school in Lebanon, but have used journaling, daily journaling in class Mm -hmm. everywhere. Right. And seen some really interesting material and Mm -hmm. kids that wouldn't normally be involved in their own storytelling longhand become really involved as a result of that and were able to bring stuff up that they wouldn't have normally been able to. Um, Yeah. If you can't take a picture of it or post it, Mm -hmm. how, but if you ask them to remember this thing with their grandmother and you have 30 minutes and yeah. you have to do it yes. if you want to pass. Yes. Then, and they, yeah. Then, that can be really cool. Yes. And they surprise themselves. Because I love, I mean, I would rather read about treks and wrestling most of the time uh-huh. anyway. Yeah. So I always put like a lot of different topics up there. Like it's okay if you want to just write about your truck. Go for it. Just yes. write about something you like. Tell me that's the key. Everything. Or something that engages you. Maybe something you don't like. That's fine too. But, yes. Yeah. So I have all these uh, country boys that are writing detailed accounts of their truck haikus about their truck and so yes. all this really like deep beautiful yeah. nature writing cool um which is fun for me somebody in my writing program is like a orvis guide in idaho for fly fishing so okay. I mean, there's always a need for cool nature writers and yeah but i think they surprise themselves in actually putting pen to paper um and and realizing that they can tell a story the old-fashioned way the mm-hmm. longhand way too. And I think it gives them more confidence. They start to want to share. In the beginning, nobody wants to share. Right. But a lot of them, you know, I don't know if they'll ever do comedy, but they get a bit going. They always talk about how much they love each other. They love, the boys yeah. love to get obsessed with each other and like just go really deep with talking yeah. about how cute someone looks today or yeah. like how much they love this thing about this person. And sometimes they keep the bits running the whole year long. Mm-hmm. Um, and Did you say bit like that? Where like a keep... comedy bit. Okay, kind cool. Of. Yes. Is, the, is the, I like this, what this person, is that the comedy bit you're saying? Yes. Okay, gotcha. And they'll gotcha. add on. Yeah. Or if just like someone gets an injury <laughs> yeah. or just like, you know, someone gets a haircut, it's like over. Yeah. It's like all we're talking about, you yeah. know. And... But they're joking in that state. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yes, but they're joking, but they don't realize that they're they're mining the material and they're refining material over mm-hmm. time. So you kind of trick them into developing an act. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And practicing things like, you know, we have more limited attention what can you tell me about that person or, or that story to get someone initially in the beginning mm-hmm. hooked in? Right. And we do, um, uh, uh, there's a, a set of books called the Foxfire books. Okay. Are you familiar with that? I don't think so. They started in the 70s in Rayburn Gap, Georgia. This guy went back um, and hit the kids in his school were not, particularly interested in what he was teaching as a new college graduate. Mm -hmm. They're living in a rural community. So he taught them how to do field work and they went and interviewed all these people. And one of the first ones, this woman, Aunt Ari, who lives in a remote cabin on a hill and the kids come in and she's trying to get a sow's eye out of its skull. Yeah. But she only has one good arm. And so these kids come in with their interviewing materials and have to help her pry the eyeball out. And that's in its narrative. And anyway, so we read that. And then I ask them to interview people in their own communities. One of my students slaughters hogs after school for his job. Yeah. So it's a real mixed bag and they kind of can do their own personal narrative plus primary research plus some secondary research. So Uh we like hit all the whatever common core things we need to yeah. while teaching them those skills. and yeah. Maybe I should know this, but secondary research, what, what do you mean by that? I think um, just books. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Versus yeah. specifically talking to the person that yes. reading somebody's secondhand account. Mm-hmm. Or, or, gotcha. Yeah. That makes sense. Plus, I think with a lot of that stuff, you, kids, you don't realize how interesting you are if all you've ever seen is you and the people around you. Mm-hmm. Um, when somebody mentions, mentions to you in my neighborhood... Either, you know, I live on the 
20th story of a complex mm -hmm. and I don't ever deal with nature or horses are so common in my neighborhood that we drive throughs will let you bring your horse through. No big deal. You mm -hmm. know, stuff I've, you know, I don't see as much as the high rise talk in Nashville, but mm -hmm. you've seen it in other cities and maybe it's on its way here, but, um, it's just cool to, with the video stuff, I think it's easy to point out because you watch a video of somebody just riding a motorcycle down a street and it's cool because it's a motorcycle and you're moving and all that. But part of what engages me or makes me feel like I'm in another planet is just the vegetation. Mm -hmm. It's that simple. And so that's a great example of your neighborhood is interesting. If you're just mm -hmm. hanging out in some part of Texas, that's interesting to me from Nashville. Mm -hmm. um, maybe it can be a way to help people even just be more into their lives in a healthy way um, mm -hmm. or excited about themselves as an individual. Or... Yeah. Someone brought me a note. He was up all night slaughtering hogs and his paper was late and the note had blood on it. Yeah. That's not normal. Right. He didn't know that. I had to say, is this blood? You yes, ma'am. Yeah. That's not, I just, yeah. these kids are going to flip yeah. when they yeah. go to colleges because it right. just feels, you know, that's one of the things that I think film does so well is making the mundane unusual mm -hmm. different filmmakers are able to use different effects yeah. where you're in a suburban setting or a, a common setting right. that make you question um you know how things run normally force you to focus on something for long enough that your brain just starts creating something mm -hmm. from it um flubert that mm -hmm. author from a long time ago mm -hmm. i don't know much about flubert but i know that walter murch who is i think he might have been the first guy to ever get a sound designer title for apocalypse now he's a oh. editor, really important editor and has a lot of great theories um but he talked about he points to flubert as one of the three fathers of cinema the people that really helped get it off the ground hmm. um even maybe weren't even involved in cinema but that, that writing um was spending one two three pages where technically nothing happened so getting away from the he would say getting away from the swashbuckler adventure story and into the room with a glass and the shadow and the fireplace. And you're just going into um, everyday life and making something out of that, even if it's not a deadline or a goal or a bad guy or something. Mm -hmm. um, anyway, you just triggered my brain with that because it's funny that you point out that visual storytelling or film might be good at that, making something out of the mundane and... Um, I've only heard so many people point directly to film or talk about Flaubert in that sense. Mm -hmm. you know? That's interesting. Um, and he felt, did he feel like it was a deliberate way to slow down the narrative? Or he was saying he he is setting the scene for you? I think he was saying, I would almost say, it's almost like what you just said. He's a, he's forcing you to look at the everyday life and realize there's a story there. Mm -hmm. um, or just sit in the texture or atmosphere. So I guess that would be maybe what you're just setting the story, I guess. Mm -hmm. But I think the goal of those writers, that was also the story. So they, they didn't have mm -hmm. to set it up like Avatar, how you have to explain a bunch of stuff and then we go, you know. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't know. <laughs> I just compared it to avatar i don't know if that's the best move, i'm glad but... that happened yeah i know right well or should i say fern gully it's not like fern gully well, we weren't allowed to watch that it was too new age oh right well then yeah. you're not allowed to watch avatar because it's basically <laughs> the same exact story yes well people are weirdos we are surrounded by weirdos all the time oh yeah and people if they can sense you're open to it will yeah. tell you the wildest yeah i was just at my mom's last week it's probably her fault, you know, because we were always trained to talk to everybody and kind of seem open. I don't know. People tell me all the time, I'm sure you've probably been told, but there's a weirdness magnet inside your body. They say they're like, stuff doesn't happen to me like that, right. you know, on my own. But I just walk at my mom's dog and this guy pops out of his Volvo. He has it resting on a pile of wood. Yeah. It's not braced. It's just up there. He's like, Hey, how's it going? Da, 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 da. Yeah. This guy, this old mechanic from Queens, starts going in. He's got all this like fluorescent colored rust-oleum spray paint on his hands. Jeez. Starts telling me about the best kind of like 
metal tape to buy if I need to ensure that the bottom of my car is waterproof. Right. I'm just standing there holding a corgi puppy, yeah. wondering what happened. Yeah. But I mean, sometimes to the bottom of your car. Yeah. Yeah. Like I don't <laughs> even. How I can get some protection. Right. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, that's probably not a great example, but I think that's how sometimes we can really find good stories and good gems is just by yeah. listening and, and training yourself to listen. Of course you can have boundaries and excuse yourself, but sure. I think you don't realize what a gold mine, the people in the elevator with you could be mm -hmm. if you just start a simple conversation sometimes. Yeah. Which ties into, you could say being present, but just not rushing to and from whatever the thing is you're going to in the elevator. Yes. Um, or being, I always go back to that idea of, Okay, I need to be more humble then right now mm -hmm. because these four people that I don't know, they're not this person that I want to talk to or this person that I want to learn from or, but they could be, you know, there's something amazing there. Mm -hmm. uh, I wonder if I'll, I wonder if that ties into the, I'm sure in part just, it's easier to sell stuff to a society that is easily defined or kind of in boxes. Mm -hmm. So the more you advertise a boxed society then the more they believe it and the more you can contain them and the more you can keep selling cleanly to them mm -hmm. um and i think i think that people know deep down that we are pretty special not like always but the the human is so complex that's what i'm trying to say mm -hmm. that i think i like to see that sparkle in somebody's eye when they share something that's super individual about them or super weird mm -hmm. because it seems to fly in the face of that we've already figured everything out about us Yes. And it does and it should. And that sparkle is, I don't know, that, that whatever that is, is what is us being alive mm -hmm. or us not being taken over by computers as we figure out how to use them as tools or, you know, whatever. And those kind of stories, I need those kind of stories. Yeah. Like usually. Oh, no kidding. Because like it reminds usually, you that you can be an individual, right? Yes. And I think that for me, you know, I believe that the stories and the people have been brought into my life are for my own instruction and healing too. Mm -hmm. And like I got lost in Lebanon one time and saw this incredible sculpture of a dog. It was a huge rock painted like a dog. And I just got excited. I'm noticing through these stories that maybe I need to be more careful about the safety choices I'm making, but... I just mm -hmm. went up to the door and knocked on the door and was like, can I take a picture of your dog sculpture? And it was a granny. And she was like, yeah, let me show you all the rest of them. Awesome. And we became friends and we started hanging out. And I had lost all my grandparents pretty soon before that. Right. And it wound up being this incredible friendship that we got to have. And I did an article on her for the newspaper in town. Cool. She lost five people in her life in two years. Just started painting stuff outside, cactuses, yeah. yeah, other sculptures, a praying squirrel, yeah, yeah. So I mean, I needed that story, and like that woman, Freddie Bowen. I needed her to ask me what I needed, and I think if we're too insulated and not open, we miss a lot of the ease that we're meant to receive from other people. Sure. Yeah, I think. Um... You got to be in a place where you can even notice that and be open to the positive side of that by just be annoyed for some lady that's not letting nature take its, you know, somebody might yeah. see that on someday. Maybe I'm pushing it. It'd be hard not to find that endearing a giant dog. Yeah. But, um, it had a bowl or its food bowl was <laughs> little pebbles. Yeah. Sorry. Keep going. Uh, no, but just the <laughs> fact that you can take a second and go and take what could be not that's not, you're not taking, but uh, receive what is given, what that lady has to give. Mm -hmm. It's hard not to just remember the last commercial you saw on some days and think, I just, I just need a new pair of Nikes. I don't need what that lady has. Sure. You know, mm -hmm. um, that's an extreme, obvious, bad example. But um, I, I think I don't. Yeah, I, I can sense that too on days that I need to slow down or really put away my phone for a couple of days or um, go walk around more whenever I'm not noticing things as much that are impressive mm -hmm. like that or interesting or a one of a kind moment, mm -hmm. I feel like I'm not spending enough time looking because they're out there. Yes. This is a, not meant to be contradictory, but I will say Instagram story kind of changed my life uh -huh. 
because I when I was in grad school. I'm all confused and, now. This everything's wait. Sorry. I, everything's gone out the window. This is everything's canceled. Yeah. Stop the recording. Okay. Well, I I can use it to document stuff. Right. And when I was in grad school, I was teaching full time during the year, and I was away during the summer. So I just didn't see my friends very much for mm-hmm. three years. So I started taking snapshots. It's probably very unethical. I recorded that man uh-huh. in my mom's neighborhood without his permission, just talking, looking right. at his glowing hands. I do it right. all the time. Yeah. But Well, there's a blurred line on some of that. If somebody comes up to you in public and shares something with you and your phone's in your hand. I mean, okay. I, don't, I don't know. I don't know. The line's... The, I don't know where the line is. Okay. But that If somebody sees that recording, like it goes to jail for something. They're trying to find him. That's a bummer. Right. But And yes. if it's super, super personal, then it's just... For the sake of all documentarians, yes. don't expose them. But I've seen some of your social media stuff. I've never seen anything that was dangerously revealing about okay, somebody good. else. It all seems to be kind of like a celebration of them. Yeah, I just get excited. But yeah. it's that has been really fun for me. You know, I'm sure it would be really different if it was somebody that felt like they needed to put themselves in the content all the time. And mm-hmm. they're, you know, it's like, I don't know, a fitness account or something. Sure. I'm sure it could take over a lot. But... That is one way I feel that that I feel more connected to. Yeah. To well, I think, it, not to even go devil's advocate or balance it out too much, but even the fitness thing, if it's somebody that needs to stay on course and they're three buddies or, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Or, I mean, I guess there's good in all that too. And even the, the sharing with friends could go the negative route of just that evolves into I've got to up maintain something. Sure. But it, for, but it sounds like, uh, I was talking to a friend yesterday about how can we keep these tools... It, on our tool belt at our hip mm-hmm. and you know then it's awesome if this is a way to share a moment with some friends mm-hmm. when you're just you got six hours stuck in this room or wherever you are in another state yeah that's awesome um and then we've all felt the moments where all of a sudden the, it, the computerized tool starts to raise above eye level and then all of a sudden it's above us you know what i mean that yes. idea where it, we are its tool mm-hmm. whatever that keeps coming up but um that's a huge one. Sharing stuff with friends that aren't geographically close mm-hmm. is awesome through that stuff. Do you have any good tips for keeping it balanced? Do you go on hiatuses from your phone or anything? Um, I With social media, I haven't really ever gone too crazy with it. Mm-hmm. I was in Southern California in college when I first hopped on Facebook, but then got off that, shut that down pretty quick because mm-hmm. at one point I realized... I was getting overwhelmed by the pictures in the early days and I had all the people I wanted to talk to, I had their cell phone number. So I just cut it off. Yeah. And then I never got into it. And then I kind of started telling myself I didn't, you know, just hold, stay strong or something, you know, um, I'll go through spells on, on social media, but I don't have a trick with it. My thing is really looking things up online or listening to interviews. I can do that too much. Mm -hmm. And I think it literally is. I'm trying to learn with it um, right now. Um, it literally is just putting the thing in another room, and mm-hmm. I'm not messing with it for the, this many minutes or hours before bed or today. I've been talking, not committing, but talking to try to do a few day fast, which mm-hmm. some people maybe think that's crazy. Other people maybe think, oh my gosh, you've been talking about doing a few day fast on your phone. You're already gone too far. You're <laughs> done. You know. So I get it. Everybody's a different perspective, but. Strictly, my brain, um, I've been trying to, to let myself do times of brainstorming a little bit more the last uh, couple months and a few months. And when I did not have a smartphone, mm-hmm. I could stay in the zone longer. And it's, I think it's, I try to let myself get slightly out of practice to kind of go, I don't know what how to describe it, but get more into just... I'm just here with me. I'm not trying to produce and then mm-hmm. swing back into kind of brainstorming. What do we want to, what do I want to mess with? Mm-hmm. And it's so much easier to get, get out of the zone, whatever the zone is. Yes. Get distracted. Mm-hmm. It's ridiculous and it's for real. So I think I'm, I think it's just going to be today or this half of the day. I just, I don't have a phone. Yeah. You know? um, or if it rings, I'll answer it, but yeah, I don't need to listen to this person's perspective on, I mean, I could list the stuff that I was learning about yesterday. Some of it's helpful, but some of it is not. Mm-hmm. You know? So there's a fine line there. And if that's your enjoyment or that's your meditation and listen to somebody share the history of 
this musician or this government thing or this um, exercise or this theory of how not to eat too much sugar. Mm-hmm. Awesome. You know, yeah. I don't want to beat myself up too much. But, sure. Yeah. But no trick. No. Okay. I, I think it's just literally shut it, shut it away, get a good book out, I guess. Yeah. It's going to be warm. We can take walks more now. Yes. There's this dog park not too far from here <laughs> that I can rollerblade at. Oh, tell me I'll tell everything. you about it. Um, <laughs> Anyway, yeah, don't take me as some specialist on how to like be, uh, you know, healthy with digital. Cause I'll, oh, I'm I'll just find, always yeah, interested. Definitely. Okay, cool. I've good, been taking, good. like during good. Lent, I try to not do sun- Instagram on Sunday and Wednesday, which doesn't sound like a lot, but is for me yeah, a lot. Everybody's in a different place. Some people use it for business, yes. friends, just like you were saying. And they have the screen time thing now uh, yeah. that you can track it. Mm-hmm. But sometimes it says my time's up and I haven't even been on it. So. Oh, nice. You can limit even. Yeah. I just know that I'm on it a lot, so I'm just thinking, I don't care what my phone... I mean, I just... I know what it's going to tell me is you've been on it too much. Yes. Um, So even this helps, just looking at somebody and talking for a bit. But I don't have too much... I mean, that... uh, I feel like that was great. I don't know. Um, All the stuff we kind of... That I wanted to get into, we got to in a roundabout way, and I feel like I even learned some stuff and got a better stance of what you've been up to. Cool. Um, Yeah, unless you have any closing thoughts about what's coming this... March, April, um, or what you're excited about. No, that covers it. Awesome. Yeah, thanks, Hans. Thank you.